Sculpture is an artistic form of expression that transforms materials into three-dimensional masterpieces. Through the artist's hands, life is brought into inanimate objects, giving form, shape, and movement. These pieces have been crucial markers of historical periods, revealing our shared values and evolving culture. Many times, they've been used to portray historical figures, and in a lot of cases, been used as a means of asserting status. Sculpture inhabits space, and space is power, says classical figure sculptor Dana King. The hands behind the sculptures are not only shaping precious materials, but they are shaping the narrative of our history. King, a former news anchor journalist, has chosen bronze as her preferred medium for storytelling. With each new creation, King works to change the narrative and use sculpture as a means for community healing. All right. Well, Dana, I love you. I'm one of your biggest fans and I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I'm very excited too. I remember the first time I saw you at the De Young hosting uh, a, a conversation with Frederica Newton. And um, I just, I don't know, I was just impressed with your energy and then to meet you and see that that wasn't a put on, that wasn't for show, that's who you are. You just have so much energy. I love it. I can feel it. Well, I love your, your artistic energy. I mean, your studio is incredible. It's beautiful. I'm looking, I can't help but look at all the details behind you. So my first question for you is, when did you know that you were an artist? Well, I think there were several phases of it. I mean, as a kid, I certainly drew all the time. I remember, <laughs> you're gonna laugh, those matchbooks that would have the, the bulldog in it and say, can you draw this? And, and I would sit and draw it and I would be like, mom, look, I can draw this. Can I go to art school? <laughs> And I was little. And so I've, I've always done something artistic. And I remember in second grade, I had a teacher who told me that basically, you know, I had no talent. My art was not good. And you're what, seven? Seven oh, years yeah, old? Oh yeah, seven, eight or something. And I talked to so many people that that happened to. And, and for them, they just stopped. But being as stubborn and, you know, thick-headed as I am, I just kept going. I'm like, well, whatever. Well, I love your stubbornness because here we are. And you've made some I, of my favorite <laughs> art pieces. <laughs> so actually, um, I, I stopped drawing. You know, I've had, I'm on my third career now, right? And my second one was as a broadcast journalist. And that satisfied me creatively for a long time. I did that for 25 years. And, you know, you're, you're marrying sound and pictures and concept and writing. And so that was a great creative outlet for me. But I was in Kosovo. It took me a couple of days. I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I didn't, I, I realized that I didn't see any women. And when I finally asked, like, where are the women? Because the men were in the markets and they were out drinking tea and playing board games. And I found the women in the fields. And they were literal workhorses. And so when I came home, I, I didn't want to write about it anymore. And I couldn't really let it go. And so I went to the art store. <laughs> 
I bought some paintbrushes and canvas and paint, and I started to paint. And I created a series of Muslim women. And that's what got me back to art school. I entered art school with that series of paintings. And, and it's been this journey ever since. I was, I was like 48 years old when I went back to art school. Good for you. Wow. You know, I was going to ask, 25 years as a journalist, because artists are so emotional. It's how did you do that to be objective for 25 years? Because you're a good journalist. Well, thank you. I mean, it's a training. You fashion your life in that way. And, and that was my job was to be as objective as possible. You know, covered a lot of really challenging stories and I've been all over the world and I'm super grateful for that career because it dropped me in places that I would never, ever have an opportunity to spend any time in like Iraq and Afghanistan, Kosovo and the Middle East and Africa, Rwanda and Ghana. And I mean, I just had that kind of career and and it taught me to be quiet and to listen and to be observant. It's so powerful because your art is sort of your life experience that has exploded. You know, as, as you were objective for all those years, I feel like now it's exploded into creativity and emotion. And, you know, all of those different experiences are coming out now through your art. It's so beautiful. Thank you. I mean, I, I love, I love people and research is is foundational to my work so and I love history so it's really like an extension of my journalism because I create black bodies in bronze and they're historical figures and there there's a narrative that goes with it in broadcast journalism my work lasted two minutes and once it aired it was kind of like gone but working in bronze and telling those stories those stories will last for as long as the bronze lasts. Bronze is not easy. I mean, you have to be talented. You have to know the medium. Where did you start? And where, like, what was your interest in bronze? Well, I didn't, I didn't have an interest in bronze. I mean, I was just, I was creating pieces and then making a mold of them. I didn't make the mold, but um, creative artists made the molds for me. And, and then I would pour them in bronze and then paint them with oil paint. So uh, Mildred Howard, an, a most incredible artist. Yes, I love uh, Mildred Howard. She's a phenomenon and I credit my, my public art to her. So I got a, a call one day from a group of people that uh, wanted a sculpture and they wanted a bust. And I felt like I could do that. And I found out that Mildred recommended me for that. But bronze is amazing. It's, a, it's an amazing metal. And so I just finished Huey here, who is going to go up in West Oakland at um, Mandela Parkway and what used to be Ninth Street, which is now Huey P. Newton Way. And so he just went to the foundry on Monday and he'll be, he'll be made into bronze over the next five weeks or so. So you're working in this material that is so hard to navigate and work with. And then you have the likeness of the human. I mean, it's, it's amazing. There's so many different layers to this work. Right. And the bronze, it informs its own aspect of reality. And so I was telling Huey's widow, Frederica, that 
Um, so she's been with me since I started him in clay. I keep pointing in my studio because he's still here in clay, right? Right to the left of me. And I said, wait till he's in bronze. I keep telling you that. Wait till he's in bronze. You'll see it'll be so different. And even from the plaster to the bronze, because it because it's skin tone. I'm, he's going to be a beautiful brown, golden brown man. And, and he'll be warmed by the sun. And you can touch bronze and you can't hurt it. And, and so I keep telling her that you're going to just be so amazed when he comes to life back in bronze. You must have such an intimate relationship with him at this point. I mean, you know, every wrinkle he's ever had, every, you must. So Frederica, bless her heart. She spent a lot of time in here and um, we would talk about him and she would tell me stories that were funny or heartbreaking and um she would put her hands on him because she has that 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 memory of how his face felt to her when she touched it and i i've never worked with someone who uh, so closely who knew the person that i was trying to recreate and it it was an amazing experience so from when you started to now like how long does this process take well, it usually I'm, they gave me a lot of time and I'm super grateful. There have been easily seven iterations of Huey. So I think I got the green light in July, June or July. I don't even remember. And um, I started right in on him. I have to tell you a really amazing story. So I never tell anybody until, about what I'm doing until there's a contract. So I didn't even tell my family and um, we live here in community in Oakland um, in a, it's, it's compound. And my grandson comes in, he's four every morning, he comes into the grandma Jamma's bedroom and he gets in bed and we snuggle up and, and he said, grandma, there is a panther in your studio. And I said, what? He said, yeah, it's a black panther, grandma. And he came in and said that to me. And I, I grabbed my phone, I text my daughter, I go, is he watching the Black Panther on his little iPad or whatever? I'm like, have you guys been talking about the Panther? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know where his iPad is. And and he has been that channeler of the Panthers since this started. I don't know where he got that from. And so Huey, Huey has been in here. Huey has been here. He has guided this as much as, as Frederica has guided it. I mean, the likeness of him in the clay is unbelievable. I mean, I, I'm looking at him, it's him, it's him, there's no question. You know, it's interesting to follow you and Freddie on this journey of, of how you got to this piece, because, you know, to this point, um, because this is exactly what is meant to be displayed. Frederica and I talked about what she hoped people would feel when they saw him. And she wanted people to feel proud and connect to the truth of the Panthers and, and the hard work and the love that he had for community, for Black people. Is there going to be any sort of writing or any, um, you know, educational tools with the sculpture? There will be a plaque that goes along with it. But the, uh, Frederica is working with the parks, uh, the, the, the federal park system. Um, because there are so many sites around the Bay Area, Richmond, Oakland, San Francisco, where the Panthers had rallies and supported, you know, the, the party. And 
they're they're in conversation about the parks uh, park system taking that over and doing like a Rosie the Riveter kind of a, a thing where because that's got several different sites and that would be that would be everything if that happened. You know, it's so brave to create public art for a public space because you're infiltrating people's day-to-day -day lives. You know, you're a part of everyone's running for the bus and they're, you know, just these sort of mundane things that you've now elevated, you've made educational, you've made beautiful, you, you know, it's, it's amazing. And they might not necessarily know it's you, but you've had this impact on them. That's the lesson for me is that we all are experiencing our own issues and our own life and the way it's coming at us. But if we can connect over a piece of art, then it's worth the, the packing that terror away, right? If, if someone can, if we can, if we can have a conversation and maybe not even in the same language, you know right, what I mean? Right. That's what I was thinking. You know, art is one of those things. There are no words, art, music, you know, it's sort of this universal language. That's it for me is that it, it is a point of connection. And, and I suppose it's a non-threatening point of connection because, because you're going to experience it differently than maybe even the intention behind it. Right. And, and it opens up this whole new avenue um, in which to see a piece. And I'm always, I'm always, um, really curious about how people see art, what what their perception of it is and what it makes them feel and 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 how it makes them feel, right? Um, because there's there's always a learning in there. And it's different for everybody. I mean, that's the beauty of it. You know, we bring ourselves to viewing the piece. Um, so, and, and you're right. I mean, under the vein of connection, putting it out in a public space, you have a larger ripple effect. More people will see it, more people will connect over it, um, especially a figure like Huey, who in his lifetime connected people. I mean, I think there's going to be huge ripple effects of goodness coming out of this sculpture. It's in the right place at the right time at the right, you know, there's just something so serendipitous. You're absolutely right. I mean, it, you know, people deserve to see themselves in in this artwork um and they and because it's it, it's the collective memory and still successfully exactly and and um but but for me it's a on a on a uh, a broader scale than the individual pieces it it really it helps inform um the ways that people see black people and that's so important today and and it and it's not just black people it the representation of the art itself and and the community that it represents it's it gives people a way to um in a non-threatening way to come together right you know like who is this person who's been immortalized in metal i need to know more about that and what we have available to us in terms of speaking on behalf of others is the news and um and i'm granted you know we could all do the work of researching but we don't right we're going to take the most available thing to us so i'd rather it be art than a tv report you know we need more of it we just need more of it out in public spaces because you know not everybody can get to the museum you know, not everybody can afford the museum. There are kids that have never been to the beach who live here in Oakland, right? So 
I, I want them to see themselves. And I especially want kids to, 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 to see art that looks like their mom or dad or grandparent or uncle or aunt. I mean, because then they, they start to feel important, but that's art. That's art, right? Um, and I just, it, I wish it informed more people's lives. So my favorite question to ask artists is how do you know when the piece is finished? And I feel like this is a very interesting answer for you because yours are very figurative. You know, so yeah, so anyway, I won't, I won't project what I think, but yeah, how do you know when a piece is finished? There's that moment. Well, it's a long moment. When I start a sculpture, like I am like, how am I gonna get there? I have no idea how I'm gonna get there. I'm just gonna keep going until I get there. And hopefully, I mean, it comes in, I mean, I'm always on deadline, which I thrive. I love being on deadline, but, um, but it, it, you know, there is that process of, and it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a process process. It's, it's a, it's an emotional, um, um, uh, spiritual visual process that it takes before I get to that point. So do you ever work in any other mediums besides bronze? Have you ever tried stone or any other, or it's always been bronze for you? It, it is because I, I, I'm a, so when you, when you work in stone, it's reductive. You're taking away, right? My process is that I, I build up and I can take away and build up and take away, but you know, a piece of Carrera marble is its own beautiful life-giving organism, right? I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to practice on any of that. Right. So, um, no, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel really comfortable in this medium. I still have a lot to learn. Um, you know, I came very late in life. And so, um, you know, I look forward to the day when I can experiment more, but I, I really feel like I have a mission to create these narratives, these black bodies in bronze. So then what is next? What else does the future hold? I'm super excited about this. So, so I love when um, I get to create somebody that deserves to be known worldwide, right? Well, they all do. But um, so I was awarded a commission by the, the San Francisco Giants and the development at Mission Raw, um, which is right next to the Giant Stadium, to create a sculpture of the first woman, Black woman, to play Major League Baseball. Oh my God. I never heard of her. Her name is Tony Stone and she um, played for the Negro Leagues. She took over for Hank Aaron at second base for the Indianapolis Clowns. She played on four teams, including the San Francisco Sea Lions. And so there were two other women who came after her, but at the end of 2020 last, last year, the Major League Baseball decided um, to accept the um, the Negro Leagues statistics and the teams and the players and all so that so now she is officially the first woman to play 
major league baseball in this country. Right. I mean, she was the first woman to play major league baseball in the Negro leagues. I haven't started on her yet. Um, so I think she'll go in and like, um, third quarter 23. I don't really have the timeline yet, but it'll be the next thing I work on. I'll start on her probably in September. The beauty of sculpture for me is that sculpture inhabits space and space is power. The more space you have, the more powerful you are. And, um, and there aren't a lot of images of African descendants out in the world for us to see. And so it's really, it, it, it's the actual art form that I'm attracted to as much as the narrative of, of the individuals that I want to see out in the world because I want people to come up on this art because it's so surprising because we're not out there in the world. And, um, and our memories, our histories deserve to be out there because we're such an integral part of the way this country has been built and the way that it moves. And, and, and to be able to come upon a piece out in public, it's kind of like, for how I feel about it, seeing an African narrative out there in the world, it's just, it's, it's like shocking in a, in such a, a good way. It's, it's so powerful um, because not everybody go, can get to a museum and not everybody has art in their home and especially sculpture, right? The size of it really dictates the power of that person, right? That's why I like to build bigger than life size, but not so big that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not realistic. I heard these numbers that the Smithsonian keeps track of all the art in the United States. And boy, I, I hope I'm not wrong about this, but there are roughly 750 pieces out in this country that um, are ethnic oriented. I think that's the category. And, and of those, the percentage of, of ethnic artists that created them is minuscule. So it's about the art, it's about the size, it's about the space it takes up. It's also about who did it, who created it. I think it's important for me, well, I don't think, I know it's important for me as a black woman to create black art. stories will last for as long as the bronze lasts. And in today's interview, the wise words of Dana King will also live on. Artists like Dana have taken the great responsibility to create and sculpt new memories and shared experiences for our future generations. Public art is powerful. Public art tells the stories of our past, what we value today, and what we will be remembered for tomorrow. Next Monday, join us as we speak with San Francisco legend Susan Cervantes 
the founder and director of Presida Eyes Muralists. Located right here in the heart of the Mission District and one of the few community mural arts centers in the United States. I'm Francesca D'Alessio and I oversee the public programs initiatives at the Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco. And I'm your host for this series. Please visit our website, deyoung.famsf.org backslash programs backslash local voices to find transcripts for this episode and to be sure to subscribe to the museum's email newsletters to learn all about what's going on here at the DeYoung.